You're listening to How You Create with Ben Terry and Joshua John Marie. Benjamin Terry, what's going on? <laughs> uh, we're good. We're doing good. Yeah, um, it's been a busy week. I just watched the little things on HBO. It's like part of the new, you know, releasing movies that should be in theaters. You can now watch it at home on HBO. What were your so What like were your the, thoughts? How was it? Uh I I was I was a little underwhelmed. Oh man. Did you ever did you ever see I know you're you're young, but did you ever see uh 7? I did not. I'm I'm the worst oh I'm the gosh. worst person to ask if I've seen a movie or or know of a song. So so literally you're doing this podcast just to learn. This is this is actually this is like real life mentorship happening. I'm just, we're just bringing this you is, along. This is so. how I like to learn though. Like I've never really been interested in, in going back and, and reading a book or watching a movie. I'd rather jump into the fire, have conversations about history and learn from there. That's just my thing. Yeah. Well, we'll see how that works out for you. Well, what are you learning so far in us kind of doing this podcast? Um, it's not impossible. We're making it happen. We released our episode with Dana Tanamachi, um, and launch day was incredible. It really just kind of gave me yeah. the confidence um, to really. You were worried. I mean, anything that I do with you, you, you were a little, you were a little any, worried. Anything you? I do with you, there's a there's a skepticism uh, in in a good way. You're a you're a dreamer sometimes, and you don't think about logistics. So I have to yeah. I have to kind of reel us in and say. All right. Well, I don't think people knew that we were actually we we actually launched a week earlier than we had planned, which is great. I just got too excited. It's like, no, let's just do it. Let's just <laughs> la- let's just put it out there. Which is great. But I'm I'm feeling good. I'm feeling really good. What's it like for you cuz you're, you know, we've talked about this before on the podcast or in some of the interviews that you're fresh out of college. So you're kind of figuring out a little bit what you want to do with your own creative career. Yeah. Um is it helpful to be talking to some of these like more seasoned creators? Yeah, I think it's offering um, a really fresh perspective on what opportunities are available out there. Um, a lot of times, it's um, the jobs. That, it sounds like you're giving me some job interview answers. I mean, I mean, I, I feel like this is like a job interview. <laughs> so tell me, Josh, what have you learned recently in your life? Well, <laughs> I. I mean, I'm a, I'm, which is probably smart. Maybe there are actually people listening in who want to hire my boy Josh, <laughs> and you need to give the job hire interviews. Hey, but anyways, look me up on LinkedIn. But yeah, I'm, I'm learning. I'm learning a lot just in terms of of what's out there. Um, a lot of times, someone can be labeled as an illustrator or photographer, but there's um, just a beautiful layer um, behind, like you know, what the person is, is made up of and what they do. Um, that's really been the most exciting part. part. And I, I'd say too, like just just asking questions. I mean, every week I feel like we're just going to get, you know, more in depth and more in detail of how we how we talk with our guests and, and the questions that come up. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, I think it's just fun. I hope it'll just be like a fun, it's fun for us for an hour. So hopefully it's fun for you know, everyone listening is having fun listening to us kind of chat and listen to other creatives as well, too. Um, but what are you kind of like, I think you just bought, you just bought some new film, camera film equipment, right? Yeah. So kind of getting into the home development um, process. Um, I love are you signing off digital, not signing off digital. Um, I think it's just something I've always wanted to do just really you know, tune into the entire process along the way from from shooting it to to scanning it on my own. So I'm excited. That's awesome. So you're going to do that all at home now? All at home. Um, we got some great uh, local options here. Shout out State Film here in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, yeah. Love using them. Um, I think it's, it's exciting too to really just take creative control, creative reign and, and see how it how it goes under your own hand. Well, Sony last week launched their their new camera that I've personally been waiting for for like two or three years now. That has some big um, numbers attached to it. Yeah. It's a, was it $6,500 camera, which is like... 
three times what the last one cost. Wow. Um, 50 megapixels and it can shoot 30 frames per second. Um, I mean, Sony, I mean, it's taken them years to work on this and they, whoo, buddy, they really, they really took it to the max. I mean, it is a beast. I think but you're doing film. So like, I've, does this not interest you at all? It, it doesn't. I, I'll say this. I think Sony performs great in natural light and you can create some incredible images. Um, I, th- I think it starts to fall short for me. There's, there's an aspect of it where it's too sharp. And I like a, I like a creaminess with my photos. So maybe that's why I'm attracted to film. Um, even when I do shoot digital, um, there's certain lenses I use, certain bodies I use to really get this creaminess. Uh, I don't think Sony Sony delivers that. That's just that's my that's kind of my Man. take. Well, Sony, if you're listening, I'm I'm all, I'm here for it. Sony A1, like. It is enough for me. And Canon, if you're Absolutely, listening, you is. can send some gear to my house. <laughs> I'll drop the Addy. We we have really we have really uh, started to really like call out anybody who is listening to to help sponsor or support. It's, it's 2021. Support Anything sure. is possible. Let's take the risk. Yeah. So no go for you. You're gonna stick with your film camera, and you're still rocking a Canon. I'm rocking Canon. I'm rocking with all my yeah. film stuff is Canon. I mean, I love so it. So would you even do mirrorless cameras? It doesn't it doesn't it doesn't interest me. I can't. I like the bulkiness of my body. I just of my camera body that is. <laughs> yeah. Man. I don't know. I'm I'm here for it. I think it's really cool. I don't know. It's it's definitely a hot debate. I mean, we'll talk about it in this episode um with Bethany. Um she's a longtime Canon user. You want to kick us off with uh what you know about Bethany so yeah. far? Um Bethany went to WKU um, and studied photojournalism uh, that sent her out to LA. And that's kind of where she's based right now, doing a lot of freelance work, um, also directing. Um, I think one of the most exciting things about Bethany is um, just her approach to photojournalism. It's a non-traditional approach, I'd say. Um, she's more focused on on telling the story and breaking the rules. Um, so... I think, you know, within our conversation with Bethany, um, we really just dive deep into her process of how she she picks out these stories, um, how she pursues the stories she wants to tell and why she tells them, um, and, and really behind the scenes of what it's like to be a freelancer in 2021. Yeah, Bethany's currently a Neiman Fellow, and she's, instead of LA, she's actually down in Florida right now, kind of documenting how the rollout of the vaccines are going. Um, and so we kind of catch up with her. Um, she's fresh off of, um, giving birth to a beautiful baby girl this past year. Um, and she kind of documented that and it was kind of featured on national geographic, that process of having a baby during COVID. And there's some very stunning images all shot on an iPhone, surprisingly, and it's pretty amazing stuff. So yeah, we catch up with Bethany and we kind of kick off with her just kind of to understand what it's like for her to kind of be a creative. So hope you enjoy. So it's funny because I have never liked to be labeled one thing, but I am a trained photojournalist and I'm a photographer, filmmaker, and overall creative. So I dabble in a lot of different creative things. Would you say like outside of like a trained photojournalist, like would you even add the extra label of a trained WKU or Western Kentucky <laughs> photojournalist? Like does that carry a lot of weight to it? I think in some circles it does. I think some people are like, oh, you went to Western Kentucky University. I'm like, yes, I did. Graduated from there. Proud of that. Um, it was a hard program. But yeah, that's my like education is in photojournalism. But I do a lot more than just photojournalism. Journalism is my like number one passion. Like I love it. But I also do a lot of commercial work. Um, I also direct. So it's kind of a bunch of different things. It really has expanded. 
I mean, you kind of dabble in a lot of different, I mean, at its core, you're telling stories and you're trying to tell stories in the most authentic way that are capturing to people. And it seems like you've been in, been able to cross over a little bit. I mean, I think I saw you, was it like in a Genesis <laughs> car commercial? Yeah. Are, are you an influencer now too? Oh my like, gosh, can please, we apply never. that? We left that, we left that out of the, the intro. <laughs> Please was that no. like an Instagram, like, was the hashtag <laughs> ad part of that? I, I mean, it was, that was like, they were cool to work with. They were like, we want, <laughs> and I'm like, you know, open to always trying new things. I'm a really curious person. So it's hard for me to say no sometimes. Cause I'm like, Hey, let's see what this is. So that was like a campaign, but it was based around my work and talking about storytelling. So that's why I did it. Cause I was like, okay, I believe in what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. And I think we need more voices in this commercial space doing this. So sometimes you have to be your own, you know, put your voice out there, even when it's uncomfortable, because I don't love to be on camera, but. Yeah, I think it was awesome. Thanks. Uh, so if there's any other car companies that are looking <laughs> for a, a great <laughs> name, car name what car you want, Bethany. Bethany, this is the time to speak it in, speak it into existence. Did you always know you wanted to like get into like storytelling or like journalism or photography like from a young age was that always a part of it for you I think like storytelling has always been a big part of my family um I actually grew up in Kenya and South Africa and when we lived super rural we didn't have television we didn't have I mean obviously there was no internet but we like we only had electricity for certain hours of the day and so storytelling was like how we entertained ourselves like my dad would read to us every night and I feel like that was really the foundation for just my love for story and narrative and so that started just from my childhood my dad always had a camera with him and then I went to college and I was like okay I love art because that was like I was doing art in high school and so I got a scholarship and I was doing painting and drawing but I did not love to be in the studio by myself. That was something that was really hard for me because I was like, this is super boring to just be with my thoughts all the time. And so I was taking like a sociology class, an anthropology class, and I had a professor that was like, you should be a photojournalist. It's kind of like combining art and the humanities. And I was like, what is photojournalism? And so I went to the library because I love books and I got like every possible book about photojournalism. And there was one that was like, um, National Geographic photographers, but it was an all women book and it was really beautiful. And I was like, this is amazing. This is what I want to do. So that's when I transferred to Western and started, but I'd never taken a photo class or anything. I was just like, I love story. I love people and I love to make things. And so it kind of combined all the things I loved in this perfect, weird career that I had no idea existed. Yeah, and one of your one of your first projects at Western, um, looking at you know some of your work, um, was focused on African Americans in Appalachia. Um, I want to know: is there you know graduating from Western? Is there anything you felt like was taught at WKU that really set the stage for your career? It's something that you could point back and you're like, this is what really started started things for me. Yeah, I actually think that project is one of the ones that really. Um, made me feel like I could have a space and a voice and a purpose because I think I'm a competitive person and I always have been. I think growing up in a family of five with two older brothers kind of pushes you to be competitive. So I was able to keep up at Western with just the rigor and like competing in this major, but I hadn't really like figured out exactly what, like I knew I loved people and telling stories, but I was like, what is it exactly? What is my purpose within this industry? And I had this amazing professor and I always shout him out. His name is Josh Meltzer. He's still a teacher and a professor in college. And I was working on that story and I was having a really hard time because it didn't look like anyone else's project because it was all portraits and then portraits of a space and these diptychs. And I was having a hard time. I was like, can I even do this? I don't know what I'm doing. I just think this is how I feel. This is how I see. I'm not sure. And he was just like, you know what you're doing, like tell the story the way that you want to tell it and just don't stop. And I feel like that advice, I was like a junior that year, that advice just really like has stuck with me as something that it's really trusting yourself in your own process and like really 
pursuing the thing that you're seeing and that you like understand versus just looking around and mimicking what other people are doing around you. And I think that really was pivotal in changing the direction of my career because it wasn't just like, okay, I'm going to go work a job and be done. It was like, oh, I have a voice and I have something I want to say. And that project hadn't, I, I hadn't really seen any other project like that. It was just something I was curious about and like wanted to find out. Yeah. It seems like most recently, a lot of the stories that you've told kind of like, kind of starting with your pregnancy back in March of last year, is mm -hmm. that correct? Has There's always been this connection between your personal story and then the overall story as well too. Like, do, are you drawn to stories that, that are personal to you? Like, is that part of like a filter or a lens, so to speak, when you're deciding on which stories to tell to have a personal connection to it? Or like, how much of that is intertwined or how, how much of that is just a coincidence? So I think before, like when I was younger, I still, I was still trying to like, you, it takes a while to find your voice and to find really what you're trying to say in this big overarching idea. And I am still scattered and I still like pursue lots of different things at the same time. And it has only been recently that I feel like I've really been able to step into like figuring out how my personal story impacts the stories I choose. They always have, but in a more direct way now. Cause I feel like, and I think it maybe cause I'm older and I felt like, okay, now I have a little bit more knowledge. I feel like I can actually share with some insight about my own life or my own experience. And maybe people actually are curious about that versus when I was younger, I was just like, I don't really have anything to say about my own personal life. Cause I was still figuring a lot of stuff out and becoming a mom changes you in a lot of, interesting ways and I realized like I really like to fill gaps like when I see something that's not existing I want to figure out how to make it exist and so specifically telling the story about my daughter being born during a pandemic I was like I mean as soon as we went into lockdown I was like googling every possible thing I could find about pregnant women and coronavirus because I was like well what if I get COVID like what's going to happen there was no information there was like one study that had come out of um, China and it was like nine women that they looked at that had COVID. So I was like, this is the only information. There's no data. Like I'm trying to find information. And so if there's no data on it, there's probably not going to be any sort of visual narrative for this. And so my husband was like, I mean, you were already supposed to be documenting women in the South giving birth this year. This is your own narrative you really should think about documenting this yourself because he already knew how adverse I was to kind of like putting myself in that position. And he was like, I think it's really important to just think about it. And I was like, I know it's important. I get it. Like it's kind of like the perfect platform, but I was kind of hesitant. And then I realized like the more I thought about it and the more I thought about my daughter and how much I wanted her to have a record of this time and just how personal narratives are the ones that you pass down in your family and so much of this is also another statistic that really just made me want to scream, but of recorded history. And I hope I get this right. There's only been 5% of recorded history is women's history. Everything else is like dominated by men. And so for me, it was like, okay, this is a once in a lifetime once. And it's, you know, forever. It's been the last, it's been a century since the last pandemic do we have, like, even if we went back then, are there stories of black people experiencing a pandemic? No, you know, there's, this doesn't exist. So how do I fill that gap? Well, you have to be vulnerable and you have to step into it. And for me, it was like, okay, I can do this. Like, I understand it is my lived experience, but I also have the skills to tell the story. And I hope, you know, that's what I'm doing is creating an archive for future generations. You know, I think it's like the epitome of the phrase that Black Lives Matter. Like, I believe that because it's my life. And so because my life matters, telling my story also matters. And so, yeah. Yeah. And that's going to be incredible um, when your your daughter comes to this age of being able to look back on um, how you documented this really intimate experience. Not only intimate, scary, frightening because um, of the work that you're also doing um, in Alabama, looking at the very, you know, idea of Black women in birth. Um, but I love that you flipped the camera and you decided to, to, to tell your own story.
And it's interesting too, from the the work that I've been doing in Alabama, it was really cool because I was talking to um, my mom about it, like when I first started it a couple of years ago. And she was telling me about how my grandma used to do birth work in her community, like her rural community in Virginia. So I do know like part of the work I'm doing is working these things out. Like my own personal history has all these vague like things that I'm interested in. And then I think it, I think our personal stories are representative of bigger trends, bigger things that are happening in the world. If you're just curious enough to like start digging into it. There's a conversation sometimes around art that it helps us process the realities that are going on around us. How much of your work having a journalism background where I'm assuming they kind of tell you to kind of remove yourself from the stories a lot of times, but given this past year and your personal stories that you've told, there's so much that has been going on both with the pandemic, but then also with race relations where has your work been therapeutic or like, life-giving in such a way to help you process the realities that are happening around you? Or do you, is there a tension to try to remove yourself and just do the job? See, it's so funny because even in college, I was like, I was taught, you know, be unbiased, be impartial. And I think it's really important. Sure, I get that. But I also think it's really important to recognize who you are, where you're coming from, and why you're doing something. So for me, you know, going to school in Kentucky and walking into, you know, some random farm or location that's super remote, people were like, where are you from? Are you from America? Like people didn't even know, like, I'm an anomaly already in my industry. So I had to question why I was in a space already. I can't just like blend into the background. Like that's not something that was ever possible for me because people were always curious why I was there, why I was interested in them. And so I had to already sort of think about my place in things. And I think sometimes if an industry is dominated by one specific group of people and that's the only type of person you see doing a job, maybe it's easier for them to blend in and to feel unbiased. But we all have biases. We all have a perspective that we're bringing. And so for me, it's always questioning that and really being able to say, okay, I recognize this in myself. If I feel tension or if I feel um, confused on something, where is that coming from so that I can be accurate with how I'm reporting something? Because I think the reporting is really important. So I don't think it's a problem to have a bias. We're all people, but it's important to acknowledge it and to be able to say, well, this is my perspective. You know, if you're super wealthy or if you're super poor or if you're black or if you're white, you're all bringing a certain experience to something. And so if you don't acknowledge that, I think it'll show in your images and people like don't have a fair shake at what you're trying to do. So for me, it's not like, oh, I need to make myself less or hide my perspective. It's like, just be clear about it. And to be clear and to be able to tell stories from that place, I think it's more honest. At least that's what I try to be. I try to be really honest with everyone when I'm working on a story because I think people don't trust people in the media because a lot of the time they don't understand the person that's even in front of them because they're like, oh, I'm just this entity that's supposed to be like conveying information. And that's just not true. And I think if we got a little bit more honest of where we were coming from, maybe there would be more trust. Yeah. And there's this, there's this uh, sense of empathy and um, truth-telling that can be found within your portraiture um, work. I'm curious to know, what's your process for, um, you talk about this elaborate um, system of kind of getting to know the person, getting to know the setting that you're in. Um, what's your process for really listening in and understanding and feeling someone out when you're preparing to photograph them? Um, whether it's for personal work, whether it's for an assignment, um, walk us through the things that, that you're listening for, the things that you're looking for. I always like try to think about regardless. So I'll use this in, for instance. I did this assignment, I guess in 2019, the end of it, and it was at a Trump rally in Arizona. And I had a lot of like, it was really hard for me to figure out how I was going to photograph this because I I do believe that people in, in, inherently have value, regardless of their like political. political views. Yeah, I yeah. I think people have value. So if that's how I'm going into something, and I do think people should be heard. So 
I think it gets tricky because you don't want to amplify things that are not true or harmful. But this was 2019, and I'm trying to figure out how to tell this story because I think it's also important for me to go into that situation because I'm going to bring a different perspective. Just being there, these people are going to interact with me in a different way than they would if this was like a white, older male photographer. So I think that's really interesting in and of itself. And so a lot of the time I'm like, this is just a big experiment. Like I'm going to places where I don't know people. So I have to figure out how to relate. And I have to like, my first thing is people have value. Okay. So that's my starting point. And then I'm curious, like how, how we're all created. We're all, we're all a bunch of different things. So how do I like try to empathize with someone and like understand something about them. And I think you can do that without moralizing it or like passing a judgment on someone. And so that's, that's kind of the work I always have to do on myself and what I'm thinking and how I'm seeing people and really trying to just make it honest, even if it might, even if the images come out in a way that I don't like or you know, it's like, that's the, that's the work. I think like anyone can be a photographer. It's like what you're bringing to your process. And my process a lot is just like being really curious and trying to understand something and then trying to like see something that's true about someone. Mm, yeah. Would you say that's a slow process? Yeah, I would say it is. I would say, I mean, cause it's, I like as much time as I can with someone because people are just so complicated. And so it's hard, like, it's hard to even know true things about yourself. So when you're trying to do that with other people, you just need time. You need time to be able to actually understand something. So I also like photography for that because you're capturing like this tiny fragment of time. Literally. I like that because that's like how that person looked to me in this tiny, you know, one twenty-fifth of a second. That's really interesting. I think it's a weird art form because it, like, you know, a slight move and they look totally different. It's just a really fascinating. And that's where editing comes in. That's really interesting. Like, what are you trying to say about someone? Hmm. You might hear my baby in the background. That's okay. It's real life. Yeah. <laughs> How how's the fellowship going so far? How many more months do you have down in Florida? What have you learned so far? through this process? Um, it's really interesting. Honey, we might have to put her. She just, do you have a pacifier for her? We'll have, we'll, she, You're totally okay. She's been wild ben, today. ben has become an editing pro, so like we can do anything. <laughs> just put me in the stew and I am just <laughs> keystrokes left and right. She's starting to roll, so she just wants to roll, 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 roll. But then she was licking the tile, and I was like, you can't do that. So she was you rolling on because it's cold. So she was going, ah. So I have to, like, get up and grab her, and I'm like, can't do that. Um, okay, Florida. Yeah, Florida, you're documenting. How's it going? What you're learning? How much longer do you have? Um, we're going to be here for, like, two more months, and it's been – I have a hard time not getting frustrated because a lot of the stories that I'm telling are always stories. Like I, I want to be able to tell stories that other people aren't necessarily telling and doing that makes it complicated. There's a reason why people aren't telling them because they're harder to tell or it's more remote communities. Like I'm working in more rural Florida. So I have to drive about an hour, an hour and a half um, every time I go out to photograph, which just gets tricky with the baby. So that's a new interesting thing to figure out. Like my process is changing because I have a child. Um, but I've met a lot of amazing people. And I think it's important to document how the vaccine is rolling out because there is no plan. Um, Florida has zero plan. And they they said that. The health department's like, we're trying to figure it out as we go. And so there's a lot of like data and interesting things that I'm working through right now. Um, I've just started photographing last week, but that's going to be a bit of a slower process as the vaccine rolls out and I figure out exactly how I want to focus it. Yeah. What's your, what's your go-to setup, uh, been recently? What, what cameras are you using? Um, what, 
What's your favorite lens? What's the most overrated lens? What, what's what's kind of in your tool bag? So I always use Canon because I started on Canon. And are you wait? Is that a sponsored uh, comment? <laughs> like, are you <laughs> no? <laughs> <laughs> Canon, if you're listening, Bethany will <laughs> use and work any equipment that you have. Right, Influencer, I love Canon. Influence alert. <laughs> it is heavy though, and it's a heavy camera. But I use the 5D mark three i've used a four but i don't like it it feels too sharp i like my pictures to look a little bit like film and so i just like i like things that have little idiosyncrasies so true story um i thought i was going to quit photography a couple of years ago because i was just really jaded after working in a couple of different jobs that were not good for me and i didn't even have a camera anymore and so Literally, this was like right when I started freelancing. I was like, okay, I'm just going to buy a 5D off of Craigslist. And I'm going to do a couple of portraits because I love portraiture, but I haven't had a chance to do this. So I'm going to do a couple of portraits. If I like it, then maybe I'll stay. If not, I'm going to go back to grad school for social work. And so I met this guy at Starbucks and I bought this 5D that he had barely used. And I bought it for like 700 bucks. And it's the camera I still use. I love it. It's like that is a wild. Story. And how many years? How many, how many years? years have you been shooting on with that camera? This camera. I mean, this was pretty recent. It was like four years ago that I almost pulled the plug on everything. I feel like that's still a pretty long time. I feel like yeah. people are flipping cameras. Oh yeah. This like need to have like the newest equipment is a real thing. I know. I just am not like that. I just love, I have this camera set exactly what I want. Like the dial has fallen off the top. It's like really beat up, but it takes the picture the way I like it. And I usually shoot with prime lenses. So that's my favorite. I is feel like 50, is the 50 really, is the nifty 50 like the the Nifty 50 is fine. I use the one too because I really like just how sharp it is. And yeah. so it's kind of like using this older body with this nice glass. It just looks the way I like. Yeah. And I also just am sentimental. So when I have something that I really like, it's like an object that it's like my – it's also t like I lost the strap. So I like took the strap off of my husband's old Nikon. So it's like a Canon with none of the dials on it <laughs> and like love, a Nikon strap. This. It's really I beat up. This. I'm like, you too can be a professional photographer. <laughs> this is great. Nikon, Canons, all in the conversation. <laughs> I love this. Like, Neiman Fellowship, you've worked with National Geographic, you are running ads for Genesis, and She has a Canon. Nikon stat. Cut the strap. check and sponsor <laughs> Bethany and get her the equipment Camera. she needs. But I like it. I, think I don't that, want the other equipment. I think that's great. I think there's always like this preconceived notion that a photographer or creative needs to look a certain way. And sometimes it, you just need to have a camera that's really old and the buttons are falling off, but it shoots exactly what you were trying to portray. Yeah. And, and that's like, okay. I had a shoot, a really big shoot like a couple weeks ago until so I rented like all new stuff. And I just went back to my camera. I was like, I don't want to use that stuff i just doesn't have it doesn't it was not delivering the way i wanted it to yeah what's in what's uh your process for editing what are you using to edit um mm -hmm. what are some of your your favorite tools right now so i love using lightroom if i'm shooting on my phone lightroom classic or the new one i have the classic it's hard to switch to the new one it's hard i'm like stop updating stuff too like let's just stick with something for like at least a year something um yeah i use the lightroom classic i like it and if i use anything like my phone so i use the iphone the new one the 12 which is great um there's a lot of stuff i can't talk about yet but love that camera it's awesome and i use all the visco to edit whoa oh a visco on your phone yeah that's cool. I still have the Visco desktop apps. I'm not. I don't know if I'm supposed to. Like but the presets. I still You're like, have I'm the never presets. giving these back. <laughs> you can't have. Well, I them think back. you can still use them. I think it's like integrated in. It's cool. So being being kind of like always on the go, I'm like I'm imagining like you probably have like a lot of a mobile setup rather than like a studio or a workstation back home. Yeah. Like what are what are the things that you always make sure you keep on your in your bag? when you're kind of like shooting, editing, uploading, like what's that kind of look like? So, I mean, I always have to have my iPhone just as like my secondary. I always have my camera and at least 
one prime lens, and then I have my laptop, which is the older version of the Mac because I like to be able to put my SD card right in the side like an old lady. Um, I could get a new one, but I just don't want it. I like my setup yeah, the way gotta it is. Yeah, got to get an adapter. I know, it's too the, many, like the, the dongle. Come on, this yep. is too much stuff. Like, And when you say your iPhone, is that for voice recording or for actually taking like a second shooter yeah. like, with the phone? I actually shoot with it because I think the images are great. They're beautiful. Yeah. So, And like sometimes that a lot of the, most of the images that I did on the story about Luna, my baby, those were all on the iPhone. Because it was like, I was pregnant. Wow. It's really hot. This is a lot of like, I don't want to take this big camera in. Like it's already stressful going into the hospital. And so my iPhone, I have it with me. It was easiest to do that and quickest. And sometimes I think that, use the tools that you have like it creates a different dynamic like i think i like to get stuck in my ways and do things a certain way but at the same time like whatever's available to me is what i will use and i think that kind of pushes you too creatively and national geographic published those right yeah they did i i think that's just really awesome of like if you've got a phone in your pocket like on your on the iphone like shouldn't stop you from making really great images. No. And it like becomes like kind of like a little diary. Cause I photograph my baby all the time and just like normal everyday life on my phone. Um, I think there's like a level of intimacy. That's nice. And I'm like, it was cause I tried to photograph some of the pregnancy stuff with my camera and I liked it, but it wasn't it just didn't have the same like feeling the way I wanted it to feel. So I'm kind of curious, like what's your biggest pain point as it relates to like tools, like if you had a magic wand, like what, what would be like a killer tool or app or service that would kind of help make work better for you? <laughs> um, I think that there could be, I know that there's like Lightroom for your phone, but I feel like there's not something that integrates your two libraries fast enough, like your I, like your phone library. And if you have like your Lightroom library, at least, I mean, maybe Lightroom does that, but it doesn't for me. So I feel yeah. like I have these separate, and I have like got all photos these, everywhere, photos everywhere and all these different hard drives. I'm just like, there has to be a better way. And are you using a manager or a represent like uh, a rep or how are you managing the business tools wise for yourself? This is like, I'm in conversation right now with a couple of different reps and figuring out what I want to do with that. Last year, that was kind of my focus was like, how do I get a commercial rep? And then I was like, oh, I'm having a baby. Oh, it's a global pandemic. So that kind of changed my plans. So that's what I'm working on next is figuring out. Right now, I just do all the business stuff myself. And we have like amazing bookkeepers and tax people. So I'm not doing that because no thanks. But are you just kind of like writing those documents and like sending invoices? Or do you use like an app or something? To I use that? QuickBooks to manage everything. Okay. Which is helpful. Pretty. Yeah. Not bad. Well, let's jump a little bit into your creative practice a little bit. We've talked about it a little bit, but I'm kind of curious to hear from you. There's like some of my favorite projects that I've seen you do, but I'm kind of curious, like what's your Mount Rushmore of projects? Like what are your like top four projects you've worked on that like when you think back, like these are, these are some of the ones I'm most proud of. So I think a project that's going to be coming out in June of this year for National Geographic is about the Tulsa race massacre. And that project... Those images have been great. Yeah. And I'm really proud of that project because I started photographing it while I was pregnant. It was my first assignment for Nat Geo. And then because of COVID, everything got pushed. And then when she was 10 weeks old, I went back and I photographed the rest of it. And that's when they found a potential mass grave. They don't know yet if it is. And that project really combines a lot of the things that I think are important and why I want to tell these stories because I love creating an archive. And so when you work with big publications like Nat Geo, those images like are part of a larger narrative of this time. And so that was really like that really made me proud of myself too because I had a 10-week-old baby and I was like back in the field working. She was excited to go too. So she, and she came with it. my husband and Luna flew out to Tulsa with me. Um, 
So that project really like made me, it was like a really important story. It's still an important story. It was creating these archival images for the future about a story that really talks about the history of our country. And, and I was able to do it with a baby. So it kind of was like, and I've always wanted to be able to do that as a mom. I've wanted to be able to work and keep going. (laughs) (laughs) What's it like to be a cool, creative mom? Tired. (laughs) No, I mean, I I also want to show her like what's possible. I don't want to just like tell her. I want her to like come alongside this life. And so I hope that makes her a cool person and an interesting person and you know, contributes to the world in a good, positive way. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. All right. So that one's coming out later this year. It's one of your favorite projects. <laughs> yeah. What else we got? We got three more. What would you, what would you put three up there more. in your Mount Rushmore? Oh my gosh. The pregnancy? Yeah, I think so. Just because that was like such a personal project and I've never really shared personal. I mean, I don't really do that much personal work. Um, and so... I'm also a pretty private person in general. Um, and so that was a challenge for me to figure out how to share something that I think is really important to share. It was an interesting thing too, because it's also like you, you're going through so much, like I was going through much, so much as a person changing and becoming a mom and having a baby that it's funny to look back now. Cause I'm like, Oh, I'm a different person and that's cool. And I'm glad that's documented. Mm. And I've had a ton of, I got a ton of feedback from a lot of different people reaching out about the project. And that's kind of the most fulfilling thing for me um, is to have my work connect to people. And so that's huge. Like whenever a project resonates, it just, so humbling and it's like oh okay i'm actually doing something that matters and for that project to be so vulnerable and so um personal to have people it just resonate that was like okay phew didn't know how that was gonna go but okay do you want your pacifier it's probably hard to think think back to like all the stories you've told like to try to like pick your favorites i know out of them as well and it's like favorite moments like there's just so much because I just like, I don't know. I think all of the work that I do, it's me experiencing it. And it's like going out into my own life. I just learn so much from people. And I just really value that. Like, it's so amazing how generous people are to let you into their lives and let you photograph them. And so it's hard to be like, oh, I hated that, you know, because <laughs> yeah. people are so generous. And so um, I think it's just really powerful to see and to be seen. I just like that's floors me with my work all the time. It's like that's what I do is try to see people and let them see me and figure out how the best way to communicate that to other people. Is working on the Times 100, does that fall anywhere on your list? Like, I mean, it was really cool to work on the firsts for time, which was um, all women that were the first in their field. That was cool. Again, that's like that same dilemma I have, though, where it feels frustrating because I was like, how can this be the first woman in 2018? This is so frustrating. It's bittersweet. Yeah. I think a lot of my work feels that way. And then it's also affirming because I'm like, well, this is the work that needs to be done. So, Well, that, that kind of transitions into a question I was curious to ask you about is I follow the women photography account on Twitter and they just released their report not too long ago around just the representation of women photographers in the media like how has your experience been and do you feel we're growing at the rate we should be in giving representation to female photographers within the industry i think that we've made some huge strides in the last couple of years um i think women photograph is one of my favorite platforms. I think they've done incredible work. Danielle is incredible. Danielle Zalfman, who started it, truly amazing. And then I think we're making strides. I think it could be a lot better because I do like going to Western was such a big leg up for me because I had, I know I knew no one in the photo world in photojournalism. I didn't know anybody, but Western opened those doors for me. And so I know that there's a lot of barriers for entry for a lot of people. Um, from a lot of different backgrounds. And so while we've made some strides, like we have a long ways to go because a lot of the like top tier jobs are 
given to the same people. And so. Yeah. What do you think can practically be done at the gatekeeper level? Kind of those, um, the, you know, what you're talking about, these um, barriers to entry. What do you think are some, some practical things that can, that can be done that can be helpful? I think that people let their egos get in the way, like prestige of working somewhere and, you know, earn your right to be somewhere. Like, yes, this job takes a lot of dedication and time and work, but that doesn't mean people need to like work their way up some sort of system. I don't believe in that. And I don't believe it's a meritocracy. I believe that there's a lot of luck. People can, you should work hard. I like to work hard, but at the same time, like I've been given opportunities that someone else could have been given and they would have killed it, you know? So I don't think that, I think if you start thinking you're so special and then wanting to put yourself in this different category from other people, it kind of, I think that's a big problem in the industry and I push really hard against that because there's so many different types of people from different backgrounds that just don't have the same access or opportunity and you shouldn't they shouldn't be shut out from the industry because of that. Yeah. And even I want to dive into um this broader conversation of the industry especially freelancing um what do most people not know or what is what is overlooked? Um we kind of see the um, the other side of this of Bethany featured in the Times, Bethany featured in National Geographic, but what what do a lot of people miss or what's not known? I mean, it's definitely a hustle. And I think it really is like, I try really, really hard to be the type of person people want to work with. So it's not just like, oh, you're a good photographer. It's like, are you pleasant to work with? Do you care about the people you work with? Like, I'm really interested in the humanity of work like even this past year it's like we can't just keep acting like we are endless resources like we're human beings that are dealing with a lot of shit sometimes and we have to have grace for each other in that and so I think even with freelance like it can be really scary and it can be really difficult when you don't know what am I going to do next and so I think it can look glamorous, and at the same time, it can be really just a difficult path. I mean, it's also like, I say that, but I also recognize how privileged I am to say that, to even have a freelance career. This job is a choice. Like, if I don't, I don't have to be a photojournalist, I could go do another job, you know? So I'm thankful for all the opportunities that I get, and I try to not, like, squander that. Um but it's not all like what you see on Instagram. It's a lot of hustle. And just like really like, work hard, be humble and like lift other people up and I think that I see people doing really well in the industry because of that. Yeah. Does the um what kind of determines the monetary worth of an assignment? Would you say it's the photographer or the subject or the subject matter being photographed? Um kind of getting into money a little bit here. It kind of all depends because a lot of different publications have like a set rate that they, like if you photograph for one specific newspaper, the sa- the rate's always the same. So I think mm. it kind of depends like. That editorial grind. Editorial grind's rough. It's hard. I love it. I mean, those are the assignments I love, love, love. But at the same time, it's like, yeah. okay. It's great seeing something in print. Yeah. Like it is awesome, but it is a grind. It's a grind, especially if that's like exclusively what you do. I also really think like my advice for people that are trying to freelance, like, sure, we all want to just work for only National Geographic and the New York Times. That's probably not realistic. Like you need to diversify and you need to figure out how to be more than just, oh, I do only portraits. Okay. Mm. You know, like there's a lot of other stuff that you should be able to do and not be above it, you know, like, at least that's how I've built my career is been saying, okay, I can spend this much time doing the things that I really love and really care about. Some of this is going to be grunt work for a client that I'll never show anybody. You ha- I think that you have to be smart about how you're managing your time and the things that you want to do. Cause a lot of people are talented, but they're not really thinking like, you know, oh, I need to just take this you know, real estate job and photograph some real estate. Like people don't want to build like that. And so they get burnt out or they just can't stay in the industry because they expect to only be doing these like 
you know, choice assignments all the time. That's just not the truth. Hmm. It seems like you have to be creative in the execution of your photography and craft, but then also creative in how you run yourself as a business, yeah. as a freelancer as well, too. Like there's not one or the other. I mean, there can be, but if you want that path of like freelance and control over your time and business, you've got to be creative. Absolutely. And for me, like when I first started out and what I tell people a lot is like, set goals for yourself, have tangible goals that you can work towards. Because if you don't have, like no one's checking in on you, no one's creating your career for you. It's not going to just be handed to you. That'd be nice, but it's not going to happen. And so you need to be able to be really proactive. Like, what do you want? And like work towards that. So for me, every year I apply for grants, I put myself out there and I figure out how to pitch a story because that way, if I can get something that I care about funded, through a grant, then I'm doing work I care about and it's funded instead of just going out there and making it, you know? Yeah. Learning how to pitch a story is maybe one of the most essential things to learn totally. as like a young creative. Yeah. Like learn how to market yourself and not like in a tacky or cheesy way. Like you don't need to like make business cards or something, but just figure out like who, who are you like trying to attract as a client and like what work do you want to get done? And just break it down really simply. Like I even just say, what do I want to do this month? Like, what is it that I want to accomplish this month? And sometimes if I'm like, oh, I haven't done a lot of personal work, I'll say, okay, I'm going to take five photos. I'm going to do five portraits of people I love. And that's my goal for the month because I need more personal work because I haven't done that. I need to work that creative muscle. Or if I'm like, oh, I haven't directed anything video wise, what do I want to do? Like today I was just talking to my husband. And I was like, oh, I really want to just like, do small clips every day because we're not going to be in Florida forever. I'm going to just do that next month. I'm going to do, you know, 10 second clips every day of beautiful light. That's what I want, you know? And so it's setting little things like that. And I think the more you do it, you are like honing your voice and then people will see that too. Cause I post a lot of that kind of stuff on my Instagram and then people be like, oh, I'm interested in that because they see a different aesthetic from you. It's not just like you're doing one thing and that's the one thing you people can expect from you. It's showing that you have a lot of different tools and you are creative and you are like a self-starter, which I think is really like freelancing is just all self-starting. Yeah. Has, has social media played a role in finding new work and clients for you? I know you're talking about this idea of just putting yourself out there and, and really pushing not only the work you do, but learning how to brand yourself. Yeah, it's Instagram has been really important to my career because I was able to meet, like before it changed into kind of what it is now, because I feel like it's a lot different now before when it started. But I met a lot of creatives through that. Like I met, I've made a lot of friends through Instagram. Yeah. And so like, it was a great creative outlet just to find other people doing work that I really liked and respected. And then able to be like, Hey, I like this, what you're doing. Let me talk to you. Let me get to know you. So that was really helpful when I first moved to LA. And now I use it really just to show like currently what I'm up to. Um, yeah. And it, it has that's where people, a lot of clients go to look and see like, oh, what is this person up to? What's their Instagram like? Um, yeah, and it's gotten a lot of good work from that. Being kind of like a storyteller, journalist, like what's your relationship between wanting to tell a story but then also make money telling that story? Like where do you like sacrifice the money or where do you sacrifice the story to be able to get the job to like, does that make sense? Like mm -hmm. how do you... How do you process that? Like, are you willing to do a story knowing you're going to take lesser pay because it's a story you believe in? Oh, yeah. Or are you willing to take more money for a job? You don't really believe in the story, but you need you need them to cut the check. Mm -hmm. I think, like, there should always be a balance. I never want, want it to be, like, I'm only doing stories that, you know, I'm passionate only about this and I'm getting paid nothing and I can't survive. Because you also are a person who has to take care of yourself. You need to be able to have the resources to do your work. And so maybe some people can do that. I can't. We have a child. Like, I have to be smart about how I take the assignments. And sometimes, like, 
you know, I will definitely take a job because I care about it and get paid less. It's not that. And that's usually like with nonprofit clients, things like that. But I kind of divide it up almost like a pie chart of like where the different streams of income are coming from and like what's my wiggle room? Like how much, how many of those assignments can I take on? And then how much is irresponsible and not actually building my career? You know, because at the same time, I also need to be able to invest in myself. So some of the jobs I might take where it's like, I've done edit like commercial editing jobs where it's a project I would never really put on my website, but the client loves it. It's great. I do that. Boom. That supplements my income so I can, you know, shoot a personal work for two weeks, you know? So I think about it like that. You're kind of dividing up how you're getting your money and you're not expecting it to always just be your passion projects or stuff you're interested, like wholly interested in. Because obviously I don't take assignments. I don't take work that I just don't care about. I have to care about it at some level. So I am discerning in that way. Um, I want to be interested because I want to be able to deliver a good product to whoever I'm working for. Yeah. What do you wish you knew coming out of college that you know now about making money and negotiating rates and doing the business that you do now? Like, what would you tell a younger Bethany? I think I would tell her um, to trust herself. I don't think that women are told to trust, maybe more now, but I was never really told to trust myself. I was kind of told to like work your way up, do these certain things and you will like then get a job and then it'll be this. And then, you know, one thing after the other, put one foot in front of the other. I think I would just say like, trust your instincts, like keep working hard, but take risks. Like you have to take big risks sometimes and sometimes there'll be big failures, but that process I think really it's a good process. Cause when I left school, I was really like, Oh my gosh, I need to get a full-time job. I need to like, this is how I'm going to, you know, execute this like career path. And that doesn't exist. And it hasn't really existed for a long time. Um, especially in the creative fields. It's like people don't work jobs for 20 or 30 years anymore. It's like maybe two years, three years. So like lean into the discomfort of that, be flexible and like, just be quick to think on your feet and change gears. Like it's okay. Every year is going to look different and sort of embrace that instead of be nervous about it. Don't waste your time like being anxious about it. Like do something about it. Yeah. What What would you say are the, uh, the, the biggest payoff or just the biggest benefits of what you're doing um, right now and, and what you call work and, and what you get to call work? Oh my gosh. The biggest benefits. I mean, Josh is like, convince me to do what you do. I'm, I'm interested. I need. He's to, trying to figure um, out what he wants to do with his life. And yeah. so he's like, convince me that I want to do this. This is intriguing. I love it. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's like, I feel so much independence, which I love. And like, I also have, my husband doesn't work a nine to five. So we both have very like loose schedules. I mean, obviously it's very scheduled for work, but at the same time, like I can't, I can't really imagine going back to a, like a day job because we're able to like be with our family when we need to be with them. Um, like being here in Florida, like I can take grants, I can take fellowships. There's so much flexibility, and also I want my child to grow up in a like I grew up in a house that traveled a lot when I was little, and so I want her to be able to have that. Um, yeah, we also only get like one shot at this. This is it. And yeah. so I want to live the most interesting, compelling life. And I feel like I get to do that being a freelancer. Is there a risk that you're looking to take in this upcoming year? Like what's kind of on the horizon for you of, of what you want to achieve or something that you'd like to learn? Um, I mean, I'm really excited about this fellowship and really, and it's kind of like a, I'm reimagining a lot of the way that I work because I have a daughter and I'm trying to figure out like, what does that process look like? Because now I have way less time. I can't just go and stay like, you know, two full days in the field working on something. It's like, I have a kid that I need to, you know, be a mom too. And I want to do that. And so it's exciting and it's daunting, but I think I'm reimagining what my process looks like being a mom. And I'm really like, I want to be really open with that because I haven't had like any examples of women in documentary work doing this. Like there's a couple, but 
it's not really things people talk about because I think a lot of the time women have been sort of, you know, you downplay the fact that you're a mom, you downplay the fact that because you don't want to lose jobs. And I just, I'm like, how do we break that? And I think it's talking about it. And it's like, you, you go know, to the National Geographic and you say, <laughs> let's, let's push this. I love it. And so it's like part of it's like recognizing, like, you know, instead of waiting for someone else to take the lead or be the voice that you're looking for, like, it's kind of just you, you, you do that, like step into that. And so for me, it's like, okay, cool. I am now a mom that works full time. What does that look like? Yeah. What kind of legacy do you think you want to leave, Bethany? Oh my gosh. I mean, I always think about like, in years and years and years to come, like if there's, you know, the world still exists because climate change gets under control, (laughs) is that I want there to be archival images from this time that people can look back on. I just think that's so such an amazing gift that we can leave for people in the future of like what it what it is like to exist now um and i hope like i hope i raise a dope kid and i hope that she like here she is (laughs) she's very excited to see your faces (laughs) she's very curious um yeah i hope i like help contribute to this like new way of seeing and I I do hope that I like inspire other people to get into this work too because I really believe that the more voices that we have like speaking to all the different types of experiences like the richer our world is and in turn the richer that archive is for future people yeah it's really interesting right now it seems like with all the different social media outlets, like there's a platform to be able to share stories more than ever, especially like when we were back in college, it was just kind of all getting started. And I think back to, or I think now of like kids in college who are like sharing stories and what are thinking about like telling stories as a career moving forward. Like how would you kind of coach them or even like tell them of like how to pace themselves? through this thing like yeah that's something that I've always thought about is like I really want longevity I don't want to just like burn bright and fast and then be like okay I have nothing else to do or say and so I think having that long-term goal of like I'm creating images that go into archives of history that's really like Mm. valid and important that's a long-term goal that can never not for the likes yeah it's not for that and like platforms will shift and change. So if you put all your eggs in one basket and say, okay, I've got to have like a million Instagram followers and like, that's how my career is going to go. I mean, come on, that's not realistic. Like social media is so volatile. I think you have to be more grounded in your purpose and yourself than in the platforms Um, and use those, use everything as a tool, but not as like a defining, you know, thing. Would you say there's still this value in, in creating a website and having this portfolio? Um, there's a lot of talk of Instagram's your portfolio now, but some people still have websites. You still have a website. What would what are your thoughts on that? You need um, to control. You need to have control over your images. Yeah. If Instagram is your website, you don't control that. No. That's true. That's true. No, and like I love being able to have a layout and like if you go to my website, which I need to redesign it. <laughs> Badly. I'm like actually in the process of that right now. But I love it because it's like I'm creating a space where I'm like, this is what I, this is my little world. This is like, you can see how I think, you can see how I sequence, you can see more of my projects. Like all of this is my work living in one place. And I think in general, that's, it's a good process and like practice to have, like to just even get your photos organized and put in a place so an editor can look at them. Because a lot of, this work is sequencing is like putting one photo next to the other. And so I like to go to someone's website cause then I can see how they think a little bit more. Or if you had like a book or like, I think moving away from like a templated web, like thing, like Instagram, Instagram is just the same template other than stories, but I'm not going to go watch someone's stories to like get a sense of their work. So I think websites still have a value for maybe for old people like me, but <laughs> I like them. Yeah, you have. And this, I think it's uh, good to have that kind of stuff. 
you have this one project called Everything Belongs. I want you to speak about it a little bit because it's, it's a little different from everything you, else you have um, on your website. So Everything Belongs, after I left the first job I had at a newspaper, I had this folder of photos that I, like after assignments, I would be like, I love this picture. It's not going to run in the paper. What am I going to do with it? And I would just keep it in this folder. And it started becoming this body of work that kind of connects all these different parts of my life and different assignments. Because that was part of the process too for me, kind of realizing what I wanted to do was like, oh, all of this work is my work and it all belongs because I created it. And like I'm experiencing all these different narratives at the same time. And so it helps me sort of organize my thoughts and it kind of, I kind of like think of it as like, like stills from a movie of all these different, especially when you work at a newspaper, you're getting like, go photograph this celebrity, then a basketball game, then a shooting. It made me feel kind of crazy, like all over the place. And so this was a way to organize those thoughts. And I still keep images that just come because this work is so random at times that for me to be able to help process through what I've seen or experienced that kind of is that body of work yeah and that's really um you know the best photographs sometimes are the ones that no one ever sees or the ones that aren't yeah published the ones that aren't uh put on a platform so I love that you have um this practice of going back through all the work that you've done um and keeping these and archiving them in some way of saying I still love this work even though it didn't get the full exposure that maybe it deserved or maybe it didn't deserve. Yeah. And like to recognize that, you know, you shift and change in your career and you grow and your style might be different, but like I still have the remainder, which is a product I did in college on my website because it's, it gets at what I want to do with my work. You know, Mm. maybe I would execute the pictures different now, but I'm still proud of it. It's still part of me and my work. I don't, I don't ever want to just like get to a point where I'm just like, this is my latest, which I feel like Instagram kind of can be. Um, Artists like develop over time. They're not just like their most recent project. And for me, it's like, I don't mind if my work has different styles and different looks because I'm a person, not a machine. Thanks for listening to this week's episode with Bethany Molenkoff. Make sure to follow Bethany on Instagram at Fancy Bethany, where you can keep up with all the important stories she's sharing. And before you leave, do us a big favor and leave us a review or share this week's episode with your friends. It helps us keep the lights on. And if you're curious, our original music was made by local producer Shem, and our awesome album art was designed by our good friend Tyler Deep. We'll see you next week.